Hi everybody. This is an explainer for why I've called my site Free Thinking Through the Fourth Turning. I offer it up as a perk to the paid subscribers because I've been spending uh, quite a quite a bit of time trying to figure out what I could offer. I've been wanting to do extra things like interviews and book reviews and such, but this is something that I can do right now that I think might be kind of interesting since two people have already asked me about it. So um, I, I will leave probably the longer explanations um, after the first 30 minutes. I'll just get the sort of the basics out of the way. And first off, what is The Fourth Turning? The Fourth Turning. This book turned out to be this spirited man's favorite kind of book. A mind blower. A book about how and when history repeats itself. And this is what the book said. History repeats itself in 80-year blocks called saculum, but we'll just call them history blocks. Not exactly 80 years. This is history, not math, but roughly the span of a human lifetime, maybe 80 to 90 years. Within these 80-year history blocks, we have four turnings of around 20 years each. We usually call them generations. This book calls them turnings. Turnings are sort of like seasons, like spring, summer, fall, winter. Throughout our history, we've had these 80-year blocks, and the 80-year blocks have been remarkably similar to each other. We're in one now. The first turning... The first season is a high, an upbeat era. The second turning is an awakening, a passionate era. The third turning is an unraveling, a downcast era. And the fourth turning, well, sorry, but fourth turnings suck. The fourth turning is a crisis, an era of upheaval. We're in a fourth turning right now. I don't talk a lot about the fourth turning lately. I haven't been. Uh, in the early, in some of my earlier columns, I wrote about it a bit with the pendulum theory as we entered the fourth turning because I was fascinated by it. And I, I thought maybe I will just document what's happening around us as a way to kind of make sense of this time so that people in the future might look back and try to understand how things could have gotten so crazy in America. You know, we're kind of walking around, or at least I am, in sort of a daze. Right, we we don't even know if we can trust our neighbor. We don't know if our neighbor is part of the thought police or or is a thought criminal. As we encounter people, we we tend to look at them and categorize them and think, are they a friend or a foe? Well, this was very likely what it was like in the run up to the Civil War and the American Revolution. Two other fourth turnings. The last fourth turning was World War Two. Believe it or not. I didn't realize that we were a culture divided back then until I just listened recently to this interview with Neil Howe on this podcast where he talked about what America was like after Roosevelt took power and how divided it was between the the conservatives who were really uh, distraught about what they thought of was sort of a communist government that had over that had taken over the country with with Roosevelt. Um, and, and so it was very polarized and divided. And naturally, once you have a war of that size and magnitude, 
the country comes together and and resets, right? Which is what they did after the Civil War and after the Revolutionary War. It doesn't mean that a lot of the conflicts go away completely. They certainly don't. They didn't after World War II and they didn't after the Civil War. But it does seem like we get ourselves into situations where the only way conflicts can be settled is war. And I'm not just talking about civil war. I actually personally don't think a civil war is possible in this country because of the size of our military. We essentially live in a police state. We pretend we're in a free country, but do you really think we are? I don't. I think we're being watched all the time on, you know, whether it's our data online or, I mean, these guys, as we found after 2020, they know way too much about us. And it turns out that the big tech overlords can't be trusted with that information, which is a shock to me. Someone who got online in 1994 uh, in the information wants to be free era, you know, the internet in its early days was very libertarian. Um, and, and I am gobsmacked. I was gobsmacked to see in 2020 the way that they used all of that power we handed to them from everything from Mark Zuckerberg and the targeting in the elections uh, to the way people were um, hunted and policed and marginalized for how they felt about vaccines or masks. We didn't even realize it. We were just giving away so much of ourselves to these people. Everything about our finances, everything about our bank, where we go is tracked. What we say is tracked. And then artificial intelligence is coming along to tell us what to think, just like culture and Hollywood tell us what to think. And so for me, I, I really did start to feel crowded in my own online communities. My friends, my family, you know, my work colleagues, my readers for my website, awardsdaily.com, in case you wondered. And so I came to Substack right after Barry Weiss left the New York Times and started her Substack. And she called it Barry Weiss at first, and then later changed it to um, the free press. But I had started mine just as sashastone.substack.com. At some point, I wanted to change the name, and that was right around the time when Real Clear Politics first linked to one of my stories. Um, and when they did that, I got a lot of traffic. And so I thought, okay, I have to change this so it's not my name. And I thought, well, what is this about? For me, it's about free thinking. It's about my own free thinking. It's, it's about escaping the left, escaping the dogma of my own side and being able to talk about things that, that are worrying me and that I'm, I'm fascinated by and that I care about. And so a lot of people who are into the fourth turning um, wouldn't really be turned on to my site lately because my site is more... When they go to the front page, they see a lot of Tucker Carlson, they see Trump stuff, and they're not looking for that. They're looking for stuff about generational theory, which is what the fourth turning is. It's just that I haven't written about it a lot. Um, and, you know, I, I do have a, some old columns about the fourth turning. It just so happens that I called it that. And one of the reasons I've been thinking of changing the name is because uh, I, I would like for people to be a little bit more open-minded when they when they land on the page, as opposed to thinking it's going to be about the fourth turning. It's not really about the fourth turning. It's just that we're living through a fourth turning, and I am trying to document it 
in a way that I hope will make more sense later. For example, back in 2016, after Trump won the election, like so many other people, I was devastated and shocked. And that's how I first learned about Steve Bannon. And if it hadn't been for Steve Bannon, I never would have found my way to the fourth turning, because as everybody knows, most people associate the fourth turning with Steve Bannon. But that's mainly because he just got to it first. Um, And or he got to it uh, and made a documentary called Generation Zero, which is based on the fourth turning. It was one of the darkest days in this country. The unthinkable became thinkable. We were facing something that was unique in all of human history. But suddenly it was all interconnected. So if you want to see a movie uh, that shows pretty well the fourth turning, now he made it in 2010, so they weren't in the fourth turning then, they were in the third well, actually, no, I take that back. They were in the fourth turning in the beginning of it, because in, in this book, the, the, and Neil Howe has said that the crisis that sparks the fourth turning is the 2008 financial crisis, the $700 billion bailout that birthed two populist movements, Occupy Wall Street and the Tea Party. The Tea Party became MAGA, and Occupy Wall Street got sucked into the machine of the left, and it's gone. Have you noticed, by the way, that as long as Trump is out there and, and they're, they're named threat, that nobody's talking about Wall Street anymore? Nobody's talking about all that stuff that they were so mad about during the Bernie Sanders era? That's how convenient Trump has become to the government. Just dump it all on him, blame him for everything, and, uh, and they can deflect any sort of responsibility for what they've done to this country. My guest on this episode of Hidden Forces is best-selling author and renowned historian, economist, and theorist of generational change, Neil Howe. Speaking of frameworks, I mean, you kind of alluded to it in the beginning of your response, but I would like to just make sure that for anyone who isn't familiar with it, that we give it its due here. There are four turnings. There's the initial turning, like, again, we can think about various examples in history, but we can we can look to the most recent turning just to give people an initial idea of what we're talking about here. The first turning in the most recent seculum was the 1950s and 60s. It's a, it was an upbeat era of strengthening institutions and weakening individualism when a new civic order implanted and an old values regime decayed. That first turning is driven by a generation that grew up in the previous seculum. I don't know how you would describe it, but in that case, it was the, it would have been the silent generation, presumably, and as well as the, the um, as well as the GI generation, that, GI that, generation, yeah. That and you have the, the war, second yeah. turning. That's the awakening. It's the the area of the era of spiritual upheaval when the civic order comes under attack from a new value reg- regime. This would have been the sixties and seventies. Um, the third turning is an unraveling. It's a downcast era of strengthening individualism and weakening institutions when that very old civic order decays and that new values regime that came into being during the awakening in plants. And then you have the fourth turning, which is a crisis, which is the period that we're in now. And it's a decisive era of secular upheaval when the new values regime propels the replacement of the old civic order with a new one. And in all of those, we have four different generations. We have the prophet generation, which would have been the boomers. The um, nomad generation, which would have been Generation X, the sort of latchkey generation 
that we covered in our episode with Gene Twangy, along with all the other generations, the hero generation, which is a really interesting, I mean, yes, the GIs, we all think about them as heroes, but it's interesting to imagine that actually us millennials are supposed to be heroes. And then you have the artist generation, which you call the homelanders. People associate them with Generation Z. What's also interesting about your book is that you have different timelines for which generation is which. But you have many generations participate in each of these turnings, right? I mean, there are people of all ages that play a role. And it's the, what we sometimes call the generational constellation of the fourth, first turning, when you think of the, the 50s and you know, late 40s, 50s, early 60s, which gave it that personality. You had, a, um, you had the silent generation coming of age as young adults. You had the GIs kind of taking over power. You know, they see Wright Mills called them the power elite, you know, coming into midlife, taking over American institutions, building dams and highways and, you know, research laboratories and weapons plants and all the rest, right? And then you had an older generation, the lost generation, the Truman and Eisenhower generation, which was just generally deferentially to brighter and smarter younger people at that time. And after 1960, we barely heard about them at all, right? They sort of mm. just disappeared. And then, of course, you had the consciousness revolution and everything changed, right? A new set of generational persona came into the limelight. Suddenly, boomers appeared, right? They had been children during the high, and now they made their stage. They made their entry to the stage, and it was a very noisy, boisterous entry. Really, this was a generation that, that spearheaded the most defiant youth awakening of the 20th century. And everything that the GIs tried to perfect and build seemed to come to pieces, you know, under the onslaught, right? We suddenly had... Uh, well, Vietnam War was lost, so there was that demoralization. And we had, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, the rise of crime. We had inner city riots. We had riots on campus. The entire culture in America seemed to turn toward individualism, the cult of self, you know, which the GI generation found so hateful to its life mission of banding together in teams and cleaning up the world. And so, there was a very interesting process that happened in those years when the GIs retired. I mean, the GIs were retirement age at that point. I mean, the oldest of them were born in 1901, so they were you know, reaching age 65 in the, in the late 60s. And they all, <laughs> they all had a record number of them had union jobs. And when they, when they retired, they all just joined AARP, right? So suddenly, you know, the, the senior lobby suddenly became very important. And they all started moving to Sun City and Leisure World. We suddenly had these huge communities for, you know, people to move to the Southwest and live in these hermetically sealed communities where uh, they were age-restricted, by the way. So, you know, you didn't have to let young people move in and they could be sealed away from the boomer culture, which they found, frankly, hateful. And they could still leave their doors open. They could still, you know, be friendly to each other. And the GI generation liked to be with each other all their lives. And they liked to be with each other when they're retired. And they didn't particularly want to be with their kids. And so this generation, which coming of age, were the great junior citizens of America, right? I mean, they, they saved America. 
we had a new word that we applied to that same generation when they were entering old age, Dimitri. Senior citizens, right? And we forget it's the same generation. We never called old people senior citizens before this generation entered that phase of life. And all other generations honored them. And they basically proposed a trade. I'll tell you what, we'll take all this wealth that we built and you boomers don't particularly like, and uh, you'll give a large share of that back to us. And in return, we'll give you boomers dominance over the culture. Free thinking through the fourth turning to me means me being able to say what I think and also understanding this moment in history and seeing myself as somebody who uh, can help guide people through it. I think there's got to be a reason why there's so many people around who are lost and who are looking for some kind of way to unite with their fellow Americans or paths to follow or leadership, you know, that'll help us get through this era. I think most people understand that something is very wrong, something is very unusual about this moment we're living through. You can see it everywhere, or I can. Um, you know, movies are different. You know, books and publishing are different. You know, language is different. Uh, you know, the news is different. And you can feel it. You can feel the oppress oppressive thumb of the establishment trying to corral Americans, trying to take control of this giant explosion caused by the internet and social media. Neil Howe and William Strauss back in 1997 could never have thought there's going to be this kind of an internet. And I mean, it was on, I was already online in 1994 when this book uh, was written. I was online, but there was no social media then. The internet was the wild, wild west, you know, the wild, wild web. We didn't have this ability to connect with people all over the world. So now governments, not just ours, but every government is dealing with this. They're dealing with more people alive than ever before in human history and more people connected to each other than ever before in human history. We should all have been paying very close attention to the summer of 2020, something the media does not want to talk about. They prefer to dump it all on January 6th to say that was the worst thing that ever happened. And they bury the truth about 2020. 2020 is what should scare everyone. Because after Jacob Blake was shot by police, the media ran with a story that said Jacob Blake was unarmed and there to break up a fight. And it whipped through the culture in seconds, through millions and millions of people who burst onto the streets, burned Kenosha to the ground. Uh, three people died. Kyle Rittenhouse was called a white supremacist. Before that story could ever be corrected, in fact, it wasn't corrected for months. We had leaders like Kamala Harris and Joe Biden coming out in defense of Jacob Blake without all the facts being in, and there was never any accountability for any of that. But I looked at that and I thought, wow, look at what the internet can do. Look at how the internet can mobilize an army on the streets. January 6th was nothing like the summer. January 6th was a, a, a protest that turned into a riot with one faction of, of disruptors 
uh, with a weird scheme where they were radicalized online, getting to the front, trying to break in windows, trying to make MAGA look bad. And a fight ensued between the protesters and Capitol Police. But the summer of 2020, with the autonomous zones and George Floyd's death and all the lies that flew around the internet about Derek Chauvin and a, and a mob gathering outside the courthouse to ensure a guilty verdict and politicians getting in on it that lasted months during a global pandemic where we were all ordered to be locked down, missing graduations, weddings, birthdays, funerals, standing seven feet apart outside the pharmacy, sewing our own masks, and then, boom, just like that, it's over. I mean, what? That was the free 20-minute preview. If you'd like the full version, consider becoming a paid subscriber. Thank you very much.